Well, good morning and happy new year. Um, when New Year's comes, there's always this uh, heightened sense of asking questions, and um, which is always a good thing, right? To ask ask good questions and come come into the new year evaluating and thinking about those things. Um, but before we get into that, just uh, let's let's look into God's Word this morning as we. Uh, look once again at the unique way in which uh, Jesus does life. We're learning from him what it means to be human. We're learning from him what it means to bear the image uh, of our creator. We're learning from him what it means to utilize the means of grace, uh, which Pastor Jimmy will be doing a series on coming up. So um, Luke chapter 4 is our text this morning, uh, starting in verse 16. Get that up. Is that up there? Luke chapter four, starting verse sixteen. I have uh, I have the ESV or the NIV version this morning, uh, so I'm going to read it from my screen because my Bible is actually ESV. So um, this is uh, Jesus uh, just started his public ministry, and now he's he's back in his hometown of Nazareth, and he says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and, he, and as, he was, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled it, unrolled the scroll, and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Let me pray for us. Jesus, as we come to your word today, uh, Lord, the first uh, Sunday of this year, uh, we ask that you meet us in this place, that you uh, would once again call us to yourself, remind us of the beauty of Jesus, Lord, help us to fall in love with him again this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we, uh, as we go into the new year, the, the questions, I, I've, this struck me a couple years ago, and it's just been on my mind a lot. Uh, there's two questions in Scripture that I, that I really love. Actually, there's, there's a lot of questions in Scripture. Yahweh and, and his son Jesus ask a lot of questions, which is a really cool study. Uh, if you do just want to go through Scripture, writing down questions that God asks, questions that his son asks. But two of the questions that kind of came to mind for me this year, uh, or last year, but at the beginning of this year, just evaluating, is one is God asks in the garden of Adam and Eve, after they've sinned, uh, the very first question of Scripture, where are you? And we all know, like, 
you can't play hide and seek from God. He, he knows where you are. Um, so why does he ask the question? It's kind of this question that is having Adam and Eve that has us kind of evaluate where we've been. Uh, and it's kind of an orienting kind of question that God asks Adam and Eve. So maybe it's a good question for you to ask as you start this new year. Where are you? Uh, and, that, and then uh, I found it really interesting and actually really fascinating that John's gospel is, John is taking us all the way back like before creation, but as he's really focused on creation at the beginning of uh, the gospel of John and, and, and God speaking, Jesus speaking uh, creation into existence and the beauty of all that. And then you know what the very first words that John, the gospel of John, records of Jesus. The very first words are a question that Jesus asks. And he says, what are you seeking? To Andrew and to John. So those two questions, I feel like are kind of bookends, if you will. Where are you and what are you seeking? They're really good evaluating questions. The what are you seeking question is more future-oriented the where are you question is kind of evaluating where you've been and kind of currently where you are. But what are you seeking is also this wonderful question for 2021 to figure out what is your purpose. Like I really want us to dig in this morning to think, what is my purpose in life? I have this exercise. I still don't know if I'm going to do it. I've been praying all morning, Lord, should I do this exercise or not? Uh, so we're going to do it. Um, so I want everybody to stand up, and I'm going to ask a question. And if this question pertains to you, or if you can answer this question, remain standing. Okay? Do you know the name of your grandparents? Either one, just one of them. Stay standing. Great. Do you know the name of your great-grandparents? Stay standing. It's okay. Be honest. Great-grandparents. All right, we'll go to the third generation. Do you know the name of your great-great-grandparents? There's a few still standing. I love it. All right, we're going four now. Do you know the name of your or three great-great-great-grandparents? Yes, we have one left. That's amazing. That's awesome. Okay, you can be seated. I'm not going to keep going. That's awesome. But here's the, here's the point of this. Like, what is your purpose in this life right now? Because the, the astounding thing is that in, and I don't say this like to, to really put a ho-hum on your 2021 or on your life in general, but we just testified that in probably three generations most of the people that you know within your family are not going to remember your name. So what does that mean for your purpose? What purpose are you fulfilling in life? And how do we go about finding that? How do we go about searching that out and discovering it? Well, I think 
as we have been doing these last two weeks, again, we're going to look at how did the person of Jesus do this? So let's dive in for a minute uh, and think about the person of Jesus. The opening verse in our passage says uh, that Jesus, who was, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So he grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth was kind of this agricultural-type town. Uh, if you ever wonder uh, where Jesus gets all his metaphors and his word pictures of uh, the vine and the branches and a fox uh, has no home or, and uh, fox and holes and, and a sparrow that falls from the sky, all those kind of things, Jesus was uh, growing up in an agricultural setting, and he's using metaphors and pictures and word pictures from his own life and his own background. I even wonder sometimes, like all the illustrations of a sheep falling in a pit, like did he experience that one day and go, hey, this is, this is a great illustration. I mean, he's, he's like you and I in a lot of ways, except for sin, right? So he uses illustrations from his past, his stories. Uh, was there a prodigal son in his day? Uh, that lived in a nearby town that ran away and squandered his father's wealth and came back and his father embraced his, his son when he returned. We don't know all the depths and the truths behind all that, but it is interesting. He grew up in this town and he, he's so common that by at the end of this passage, he does proclaims all these amazing things and, the, and everybody around him is like, this is the boy that grew up in front of us. This is Joseph's son. How does he speak these amazing words? How does he have such this gracious tone about him? So how did Jesus grow in his understanding of his purpose? How did Jesus go about growing in wisdom? Luke gives us a window into that in Luke chapter 2. He just says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And then later on in verse 52, he says, that he grew in wisdom, increased in wisdom. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, it's like kind of one of those mind-splitting thoughts. Like, how did the incarnate Son of God grow in wisdom? Well, the reality is that he grew in stature. We know that, right? That's easy. He learned to walk. He learned to talk. He learned the language of his day, the customs of his day. But how did he grow in wisdom? How does the creator, the word himself, grow in wisdom? Well, I'm not here this morning to unpack the fullness of that mystery, because it is mystery. Uh, But there is one truth that we can stand on, uh, is that Jesus was a student of the word. Uh, So Jesus was oftentimes, as it says, his custom was to spend time in the synagogue And Luke gives us another picture. The only picture we have of Jesus' childhood is when Jesus goes to the synagogue and they go to Jerusalem and their parents somehow accidentally leave him there and they freak out and they go back and Jesus is in the temple uh, with the the priests and the Sanhedrin and stuff. And what's fascinating that verse 56 in in that chapter, it's really has fascinated me for years because it says that Jesus was there asking questions. Now, if you're like me, like my previous background on Jesus and understanding of Jesus is, 
Well, Jesus wasn't really asking questions. I mean, he's Jesus. He's 12 years old. He already knows it all. Like, yeah, he's just like, these are like questions he's asking to like stump the leaders, like to see if they actually get the right answer. That's the way I kind of used to think of it. But if I know the way Jesus is, he's asking questions, one, because he's gaining wisdom about them as people. He's gaining wisdom from the scriptures, from those who are teaching the scriptures. And he's growing in his understanding of his father's word. Here's a profound thought, I think, for us that we don't often think about, that the scriptures were, these scriptures were not just written for you and for me. These, this uh, half right here, this Old Testament half, it was written for Jesus too. So that he might study the scriptures, that he might memorize them, that he might submerse himself deeply into the scriptures and understand them and look for purpose and look for his father's will and to seek that out. I mean, just, to, just imagine the scene, right? If uh, being in the synagogue and he's sitting there, imagine Jesus, what it was like for him to learn the scriptures over and over and to ask questions and to memorize them, right? Jesus says in Matthew 5, uh, have you ever thought about the way Jesus must have studied the scriptures? How did, he, how did he go about reading the scriptures to understand them? In Matthew 5, he says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Do you know how Jesus studied the scriptures? Obviously, Jesus had the grand advantage of not having inherent sin in his life. There was no sin to taint his ability to understand, to memorize, to read. But he studied it in such great detail that he knew that all righteousness must be fulfilled through himself. And so he knew every letter, every dot, every phrase, every verse, every understanding. He, did, he bathed in his father's word. He loved his father's word. He submersed himself in in it. Jesus was a student of the scriptures. In the New Testament, Jesus quotes 80 scriptures from 70 chapters from 24 different books of the Old Testament. He was a student of the word. So you see, the scriptures were written for Jesus too. Just take, for example, how did Jesus grow in wisdom? Where would you think Jesus grew in wisdom? If we're hitting on this theme of of the means that Jesus used was God's word. Well, let's just take the Proverbs, for example. So here's a fun exercise if you want to do someday. Read the Proverbs from the perspective of Jesus. See, I think that there's some really fun, like, Following Jesus is really fun when you start to see that there's this real life breathing person, this fully God, this fully man, who is doing life just the way you and I are doing life, yet without sin. But he's, he's immersing himself in God's word. How did Jesus grow in wisdom? He grew in wisdom by reading the Hebrew scriptures, by the, the power of the Spirit 
bringing strength and knowledge to him as he read those scriptures. How did Jesus grow in wisdom? He likely understood all those things about creation because Jesus would probably go out and sit and study his creation. He would study the birds of the air. He would study uh, the vine on the branches. He would study crops growing and seeds being scattered in a field and then sprouting and growing up. He would see storms blow in and rains come and the winds blow and he would equate it with the Spirit coming and blowing, not knowing where it comes from or where, it comes, where it's going. See, all of life, Jesus grew in wisdom from God's word and from God's creation. He used those two means, those two grand general and special revelations that his father had created. And he grew in those himself. So how did he find his purpose? What does Jesus turn to to find his father's will, to determine his purpose? Well, in particular, I chose this passage in in Luke because Jesus reveals his purpose early on in the Gospel of Luke that his purpose is found, and one of those ways he does it is he goes to Isaiah 61. And imagine the scene. They're in the synagogue. There's an attendant or maybe a priest or someone who grabs the scroll out of these probably these big shelves they had, and he grabs this giant roll of this prophet Isaiah, and he hands it to Jesus. And Jesus says, says he opens up the roll, it rolls out like this, and Jesus searches for where he wants to read, and Isaiah 61, he knows Isaiah really well, and he wants to go to Isaiah 61, he wants to read this to the people in the midst of the synagogue. And he opens it up, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive, and recovering of sight to the blind, and set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he gave the scroll back to the attendant, and he sat down. And he said, Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. This is like a mic drop moment for Jesus. But what's so profound about it is that mic drop moments in our culture are like on AGT or something like that or on a you know, a great football play, like somebody does something and it's like, boom, like that was astounding. Everybody's jaw drops. It's like, whoa, that was amazing to witness. But all Jesus had done is stood up and read a scripture, read from Isaiah. Why was it such a mic drop moment? Every eye was fixed on him at this moment. They were astounded at his gracious words. It's because Jesus was telling them his purpose. Jesus was proclaiming, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I am the anointed one. I am the Christ that you've all been waiting for. And I'm going to fulfill everything that's written in Scripture, including this passage on Isaiah. And Jesus says, this is where my purpose is. My Father's shown me clearly in his word, my purpose in life is to come rescue my people. And Jesus reads this. I mean, think about the words that he says. To proclaim good news to the poor to proclaim freedom to the prisoner, 
to recover sight to the blind, to set the oppressor free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What beautiful purposes that Jesus has for his life. And take, take note of what the, the focus of those purposes is. You ever thought about that? Can you, uh, Rachel, can you pop those back up there? I mean, think about these purposes for a moment. What are they focused on? They're focused on the two great commandments, really. They're focused on Micah 6, 8. They're focused on loving others and loving his father. That's his great purpose. His great purpose was that he was going to come and do all these amazing things, proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoner and the oppressed, sight to the blind. He was proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. This is it. The time has come. Here's the main point this morning is that Jesus looked to the scriptures for his purpose. He prayed to his father for the individual details of how those purposes would be fulfilled. Like we looked at last week, he goes up alone on the mountainside, probably praying, Lord, where do I go next? And they come and ask, where is he going? It's time to go on, to move to other towns. Prays for the details, but he, he, he knows his father's will. He knows his father's word so well that he knows the purpose of his life and he starts to live that out. At, at See Jesus, Rachel, I'm going to go ahead and swap sharing with you for a moment. At See Jesus, we talk about this, this idea of uh, what does it look like to have what does it look like uh, the structure of Jesus' life. We talk about this a lot at See Jesus. And we call this the Y chart because, one, it like forms the shape of a Y, so it's not really that profound. Paul Miller's stuff is often profound, but we give him a hard time. Like, it's, There's no profound answer to this, why it's called the Y chart. It just forms a Y. Um, but it does really get at the Y of Jesus, the structure of his life. And I really love this chart because it's really simple and it's, it's a wonderful exercise to do in your own life. Um, but here, let's just, let's just say, for example, what is Jesus doing uh, up at the top here? So this, this right here is kind of, uh, this is behavior up here. And this is heart. So this water line kind of represents above the water line What's the behavior that we often see in Jesus? And below the water line is at the heart of kind of the, what is driving all that that comes up above the surface. And so here we see these things like he's going to proclaim good news. He's proclaiming good news. If I could write. He's giving freedom to the oppressed. He's giving sight to the blind. He's setting the prisoner free. 
What is he doing? He's showing love. It's everything that Jesus proclaims that he's found and sought out in the fullness of his humanity. He's found this all in the scriptures, and he says, this is my purpose in life, right? And I I understand that there's a mystery to this, like he's fully God and fully man at the same time, and and I wholeheartedly believe in this grand covenant of redemption that before the foundation of the world, the father and the son agreed that he would go rescue his son. I understand all that, but in the fullness of his humanity, as he's growing in wisdom and he's seeking purpose in life, he's searching the scriptures his Father's word for that. He's praying in the power of the Spirit. He's anointed by the Spirit to search those things out. And what does Jesus do? He loves. What does Jesus want? What does Jesus want? He wants more than anything. Jesus wants his Father's will to be done in all things. He says that over and over again. What is or who does Jesus love? Jesus loves at the core of who he is. He loves his father. And he loves, in our example here, he loves his father's word. So here is the structure of Jesus' life. That at the very base of his life, this security and identity is in the love of his father. And he finds that through his communion with his Father in prayer, and through this communion with his Father in his word. As he's pouring over, I mean, golly, I mean, we're fallen humanity. Could you imagine what it would be like to be Jesus and, and commune with him in his word and your mind never get distracted? To fully understand everything that's written in it, that's written about you? Whoa. Like, these are my purposes. Jesus loved his Father's word. It drove everything in him. He, the love of his Father drove him to be this dependent lover of his Father that longed to do his Father's will. And as a result of that, everything above the waterline is what we witness in the Gospels. And there's windows into these areas as well. These areas down here The Gospels give us windows into it. So here's the last thing I want to do with you. For this year, to think about yourself. Just maybe write this on a sheet of paper and fill it in later. Question, 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 question. Maybe start at the top, and if you want to really do a challenging heart exercise, ask someone really close to you that you trust, what do you see in me above the waterline? What do I do? Because we all know, like, we got a ton of blind spots. So it's helpful to have someone else tell me, how, what, is love, what does my love look like or what does it not look like? What does life look like for me? Impatient, struggler, whatever it is. What's above the waterline for you? And then ask the question, what do you want? What do you want? 
and life. If in three generations your name is going to be forgotten by most people, what do you want? What do you want to accomplish in life? Not saying that you know, the odds of any of us in this room or online of us being one of those tenth of a percent people that are remembered 100 years from now. Maybe your purpose is to look into the scriptures and seek the purpose that God has for you to bring him glory. Man, wouldn't that be an awesome purpose? Like that, who cares that no one remembers your name in 100 years? But if they remember the glory of Jesus Christ because you loved and you gave them the gospel, man, that's a legacy worth leaving. Please forget my name, remember Jesus, right? It's John. May I decrease and he increase. What about the last question there? It's a really good question. What or who do you love? Because you see at the, at the very base, the foundation, the structure of our lives, those pillars will drive everything else. So if it's a love of self, then it's a longing to do your own will that manifests itself in a lot of anger, a lot of impatience, and a lot of struggle and taking out on other people because your way is not being accomplished above the waterline. So maybe this year, as you start to seek your purpose, that you do what everybody in that synagogue, I love the ending of this, this scene. Uh, actually, the ending is that they all try to throw him off a cliff later. But the ending of this scene that we've read is that they all fix their eyes on Jesus in the synagogue. Could you imagine the moment sitting in that room in the synagogue and everybody is laser focused on who Jesus, like, and they're amazed at the gracious words that he said. So maybe Hebrews 12, too, is your theme verse for the year. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. May you find purpose this year digging into God's word just like Jesus found purpose digging into his Father's word. May your purpose be to bring glory and honor and love to God and love to others just like Jesus did. You have the very same spirit, actually the spirit of Christ Jesus. If you are in him, he is in you. He can, by his grace and his power, equip you to live as a follower of him. May God give us grace to do that this year. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for um, the ways in which you show us. <clears throat> Man, I, think, I just think, Jesus, that we've sometimes just made life as a follower just really complicated. We've complicated it for our children for generation after generation. 
It's just really simple. It really is simple, but our flesh just wants to complicate it and it just uh, longs for other directions. It really is just simple to watch Jesus the way you love and the way you do life and the way you gave your life away so that others might have life. Jesus, help us to live with great purpose. Help us this year to fix our eyes on you. We love you and thank you for the ways that you show us the way and then you tell us to follow. Help us to follow you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.